Hey everybody, welcome to the Expedition One podcast. I have a special guest today. His name is Mike Glover from Fieldcraft Survival. Am I getting all that right? That's all right. That's, That's right. All right. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, saw you on Joe Rogan. I'll awesome. listen to it on a on a road trip. I think Will and I did. Yeah. It's a pretty good podcast, man. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I got good feedback from that. Man, I, I'm never critical of podcasts I do, but that podcast, I was like, huh, I wonder if I did a decent job. Well, that's a big podcast. It's huge. Right? Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> it's a huge podcast. That's a big deal. Yeah. No, I thought, it, I thought it was good. I learned a lot of stuff about you, which kind of- Awesome was like the whole like you're kind of a domestic terrorist but not i know i know that's pretty that's pretty crazy man it is a crazy experience and i'm i'm kind of glad it's behind us now um it's been behind us for a while but it 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 was um a merry-go-round yeah and i didn't know how it was going to sort itself out yeah yeah just so weird you know what i mean so weird it's um yeah kind of one of those bizarre things that i wouldn't have uh expected well, that was like the thing that kind of like shocked me when i was listening i'm like how does this even work like did they put you on a no-fly list or anything like that yeah so i i think i got so i was on definitely on a no-fly list um but it was like a flag you to secondary basically flag you to another like conversation like hey what are you doing like what's going on it's like hey i'm traveling because you know that's what i do i travel mm-hmm. across the u.s for business and uh what what it is i think what people don't understand now that's very different today because of technology and social media is they identified me as like, Hey, this guy's a, this guy's potentially something. We don't know what it is. Mm. So you get flagged and it's similar to like the idea of a red flag law. So without the law, you're flagged, (laughs) you're flagged. And then they make the assumption and whether that's an analyst or a guy who's an open source doing intelligence reviews, you know, basic information, open source information. And he goes, ah, I perceive this guy as maybe potentially being bad. And I don't know how mm-hmm. I could define that, but he's bad. That gets dropped down into um, a chain of communication to big tech. Mm-hmm. And so the main players, Google, Facebook, uh, who owns Instagram, all these players get notified. In, in fact, Shopify, how we lost our Shopify was via that same notification. Yeah. So they say, hey, this guy is somebody we're paying attention to, mm-hmm. which, which means like w- without due process, what does that mean? What well, means you just get canceled off of all those platforms. Yeah. So that's what was happening, constant canceling. And because I had an insider in Facebook where I was calling my buddy and going, hey, dude, what's going on? He's like, dude, I don't know. It, it, you're getting flagged as like a, a domestic terrorist. Like literally it says that. I'm like, well, can you reinstate me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. let me work it, work it. So then mm-hmm. he would reinstate me. So we were fighting it behind the scenes, but ultimately it turned out like the claim was completely unwarranted. It, yeah. it, like w- I think the proof in that claim, we made it through all of the dramatic things that happened in the country, including January 6th and all this drama that happened in the country. Right. So we weren't part of any of that. So I think through time they went, oh, I guess this guy's not a bad guy. Oh, okay. And then they're yeah. like, you know, relinquish control, you know, whatever that means in big tech. After Joe Rogan's podcast, the next day, my Facebook American Contingency group page got um, restored. Really? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> so it takes Joe Rogan's podcast yeah. to get anything moved or anything done. And Shopify still hasn't restored their account. I thought they would, but they did. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. It was all dramatic. So, for yeah. nothing. You had to have the right, it's having the right uh, 
reach apparently it, that's what it had to have been the, yeah. the right eyes finally seeing it the right people going hey wait a minute why is this yeah happening and, and it's probably related to like hey we don't want to lose a lot of profit here we mm -hmm. could potentially lose a lot yeah um or maybe it was philanthropic maybe they're feeling like hey let's look into this that's right he was deleted and canceled let's mm -hmm. restore it i just thought it was crazy governments when you get into systems like that where you're talking about governments and then corporate structures they just there's a point where they just get big and they yeah. become so big mm. that it's like if somebody's having a problem i mean i think about the stuff that i do right mm. and and it's one of those where a lot of times i won't hear about a problem until it's become a really big problem you know what i mean and it's yeah. like and and so and that's i've got 15 people you yeah. know you know what i mean yeah. imagine having thirty thousand people that is working for a company or something like that. Yeah, so. I think that I think you're exactly right because, you know, a lot of the I, I thought Facebook was the devil until I heard Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> like eloquently like really communicate about the issues that he faces mm -hmm. on Joe Rogan's podcast. And when I listened to him, I went, "Man, it's tough." Because mm -hmm. I, I had my own forum, American Contingency, that we went live on a channel called Locals, which was bought out by the rumble guys right, yeah but locals we were the biggest account on that i mean we we're doing six figures a month we were the biggest account on that entire platform overnight wow and so we were dealing with a whole bunch of people and trying to moderate human beings and for the first time i felt empathy for social media and went man this is difficult like who's spam who's here for the wrong reasons who's toxic who's doing illegal activity all these things you have to manage by yourself. And the difficulty with us is we were moderating it with a couple people. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, you know, what that looks like with billions of people on the platform. Yeah. 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 It's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad that it's behind you. Uh, me I too. Mean, that's nice. I am too. <laughs> that's a huge bonus. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, people are like, oh, well, you get the popularity out of it. I was like, I don't. I never go into strategy meets and, and deliberate planning processes and go, you know, let's look to, you know, put us in a very toxic position for the mm. sake of popularity. Right. So it's not, it's nothing we asked for, nothing I wanted. And I, I hope it never happens again. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be a tough gig. Um, I'm just glad you, you know, you, what, what's the word it starts with a P. You persevered. persevered. That's what it That's is. A good word. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, you persevered. Yeah, we did. So, the team did as well. Yeah. No, yeah. it's awesome. So let's talk. Let's talk about fieldcraft in general, right? Mm -hmm. If no, if people don't know, I mean, I think a lot of people know who you guys are, mm -hmm. particularly in the overland space, off-roading community. Everybody I know has heard of you. Awesome. Um, but I mean, give me an idea of what this is about. I mean, obviously you're you're former military, right? Mm -hmm. You want to give me some background on what? what your story is yeah i did so i did four years in the infantry the rest is a special forces guy um was it like uh green army beret yeah army green yeah. beret okay yeah so Were I, you stationed here or? i was stationed i mean i was stationed a couple places i was stationed in fort bragg north carolina okay yeah most of my career mm -hmm. i was stationed at fort carson i was in tent special forces group okay and then i did some reserve time as a sergeant major in 19th special forces group in texas okay so that's where i that's where i finished my career and then i had you know i had a military career did a whole bunch of cool stuff uh in the army and then um transitioned to the reserve component where i was kind of part-timing it hmm. um which is an option for us to do as green berets and then i was a cia contractor for three years hmm. i did the cia okay. 
uh, I did. A, I was a GR, GRS staff officer, a global response staff officer for the CIA for three years. Hmm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does that entail? Did you go in country or is that more of like oh, a, no, it's, of a test job? Oh, it's definitely in country. It's like, so if you've seen the movie 13 Hours in Benghazi, mm -hmm. so yeah. all those guys literally, I mean, the majority of those guys recruited me into the CIA Okay, because I was on active duty in Libya post Benghazi like oh. right after that happened. Oh, wow. And then I spent um, my, my job in the CIA doing that job, which is protecting mm -hmm. case officers overseas. So okay. I was in like all uh, Yemen, Pakistan, Iraq, uh, all these fascinating places. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. It's so fun. then you do all this cool stuff and then you're like, Hey, I'm just going to be a social media guy and I'm going to start <laughs> doing cool stuff and start a company where I teach people how to. Yeah. <laughs> is that what, is that how it works? Essentially, I mean <laughs> in a nutshell, it is how it works. Like literally, I was just like, this. I'm over this. I was in Pakistan, I think at the time, and I was pretty just worn down by the government. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I was tired. You couldn't pay me enough money, even though I got paid a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, for somebody who was in the army, not in it for the money, because you, you don't make a lot in the military. Mm-hmm. And then going to a job where I was contracting and not really working very hard. I mean, it's not a hard job. They're paying me for my resume. Right. right? They're paying me for my experiences and my resume. If things go wrong, you know what to do. I'm the guy, right? Right. So, but I made three times what I made um, in the military in 60 days. I would make what I made in a year in the army. Mm -hmm. So it was something very new to me. But what I realized, there was no amount of money that made me kind of settle on this feeling like, I don't feel like I'm living purpose. I'm not doing anything that's helping other people. And I've always felt that way. Like I needed to do something bigger than myself, mm -hmm. help people be involved in community, not on social media, because social media technically, until I left the CIA in the transition, I never had social media. Yeah, you know, Like people are like, oh man, you've been on social media. It's like, I've just been, I've been on social media since 2015. Yeah. which is the first account I ever set up. Because mm -hmm. when I was in the military, depending on where we were, I mean, some guys had them, but we couldn't post about, we couldn't post ourselves in uniform. Right. Like today, I mean, guys have, active duty guys who are operators have accounts, which mm. is, which that is- Sounds kind of crazy. Well, I think, I think it's changed now to where if you're the guy who doesn't have a social media account, then something stands out, right? Because right. you're the anomaly. So uh, maybe something like that, but- Anyways, I didn't have social media. I got on it. And I remember when I got on social media and started posting, had no idea. I still don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I posted and then I realized really quickly that I was one of few people in the world that I've seen in my, from my community that was a modern global war on terror veteran, like a guy who served in Afghanistan and Iraq nine times and then went, oh, now I'm... I'm actually on social media and people are like, holy crap, who's these guys are coming out of the shadows or you're the quiet professional and now you're running your mouth. Like that's not good. Hmm. So all these different things, but I was one of the first guys on social media and started doing research, research on marketing and how this whole thing worked because it was fairly new right? and um, just did it consistently, which I still do even today uh, hmm. consistently, which is one of the reasons why I think we've grown. But yeah, Phil Kraft Survival, it's a company that's focused on preparing citizens for the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So, and, that, and that's the bottom line. It's like, you, we do a lot. 
but right. everything has to fish, fit in the mission set of preparing citizens for the worst case scenario. Okay. So tell me more about, cause this is interesting. So what is the worst case scenario when you, when you say that, like, because so standard citizen, most of us were just going about our lives. Mm -hmm. The, the probability of us running into a, a very drastic situation for most people is probably pretty limited, but then, are, then there is those people that are in those situations where maybe they've got like an ex-husband that is abusive where maybe they've been exposed to something, maybe maybe they lived a life at one point where it exposed them to danger, and they're, you know, at risk. Um, where does it fall into like who should be prepared? Who should be preparing themselves more than anybody else? Or is it should just everybody should just be prepared? I mean, it's the Boy Scout motto, right? Is be prepared. But I mean, what do you from your take is who really benefits from your training? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, that question kind of lines out the philosophy of how we position preparedness in the first place. Because if I say worst case scenario, immediately people think a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> they think <laughs> they think the the end of days. They think uh, you know well, the Walking Dead. That's worst case. But um, if you look at statistical probabilities, which we certainly analyze and assess, cardiovascular event is going to kill you more than anything, right? It kills right. more people in this country than anything by far, mm -hmm. leaps and bounds. So if you look at just the baseline, if being fit, um, being healthy and well leads to better outcomes and higher survivability rates, then that's what we're talking about. Because, mm. I mean, when you trickle down, the more technical you get, I think the more interested people get yeah. because it potentially could affect their lives. Like guys, for example, are very interested in the concept um, or the the training around a gunfight, right. the, the equipment, the training, all the things, because it's sexy. Mm -hmm. But the odds of you getting a gunfight in self-defense are very low. Right. Um, you take that compared to first aid events, accidents, vehicle accidents, especially, you know, mm -hmm. you're, an, you're an off-roader like me. Um, when you go off-roading, how many times have you have you seen potentially injury or accidents happen in the mm -hmm. field? I mean, I was just in Moab um, during uh, Eastern Jeep Safari, and there was an a, a serious accident, yeah. right? So when you look at those, most people won't carry a tourniquet on their person, right? right? But I'll carry a tourniquet on my person because I know if I don't have a tourniquet and I need it, I'm not willing to live with myself in the event that somebody, hopefully it's potentially me and not somebody else I love, perishes because of a simple piece of equipment that stops the bleed and a five-minute block of, of instruction on how to apply a tourniquet, right. right? So guys will weigh that and they'll carry the gun because it's cool, but they don't weigh it against all probability of survival. Right. So when I say worst case scenario, the reason it's compelling is because it's like, it's the extreme. It's yeah. the fringe. Mm -hmm. But I say worst case because if you prepare for worst case scenarios, for example, stopping the bleed of a major arterial bleed, mm -hmm. then you have the equipment potentially to address all the issues between the worst case and trickling down everything in between, mm -hmm. right? So I think the mindset is um, one catastrophe, disaster is an equal opportunist, doesn't care who you are. Mm -hmm. And we can't plan for every eventuality we live in a very comfortable, complacent universe, which is great because it's a byproduct of freedom, um, a byproduct of, I think, a lot of people sacrifice, including your father who fought right. in Vietnam. And then when you when you take that, you go, 
man, maybe if I'm just more conscious, more aware, more prepared, I'm less anxious. I'm mm -hmm. less paranoid. I'm less fearful. And that's what I found. Like many people who don't understand the whole concept of this idea of preparedness, they think, oh, you're paranoid, right? But they think that because they're not educated and they don't understand what that means to be prepared. Mm -hmm. What it basically means in a nutshell is having information, tools, equipment, training to be able to respond and react to a worst case scenario mm -hmm. at the time in which it happens. Mm -hmm. If you have that, you're not paranoid, you're confident. Um, you, you, your posture is a different way. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, whether it's mindset, whether it's behavioral dynamics, whether it's the way you present yourself to the world, is the first steps in preparedness, right? Mm -hmm. And it's nothing you could part-time. A lot of people are like, well, yeah, I did the tourniquet class or did the training class. It's not a hobby. It is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You have to constant, constantly be tuned into it. Like when we were standing around that bumper talking about recovery points on the bumper on the F-350, um, that truck that you guys are putting the, um, your equipment on, I am teaching overland mobility experience courses, which we teach recovery and maintenance and everything else. We're tuned into that because those are the points that matter in the worst case scenario. Is it is it a hundred percent of the experience? No, it's like point zero zero one percent of the experience. Hopefully, right. But if that something happens, that steel bumper, those attachment points, and the attention to that detail is going to matter and potentially mean the difference between like somebody getting injured or potentially killed mm -hmm. or not. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, it happens all the time in this kind of line of work of extreme off-roading or overlanding in, mm -hmm. in the back country in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I think, and, and you're bringing up a good point because I think a lot, of, I mean, it's a growing market. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Lots of people are, are getting great. into this. I think COVID drove a lot of people into mm -hmm. it too because it was just like, what else are we going to do? Well, let's go outside. And I think that's great. What you're seeing though is, and the concern that I, I bring with it or see from it is you have more people going out. They're used to having cell service everywhere they go. They're used yeah. to being able to have the communications they need. And then they're out in a, in a place and then they don't know what to do if a situation arises. I mean, you're talking about stuff that makes a lot of sense. Like um, we used to say like a winch is an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's not there because you're necessarily using it every single day. Mm -hmm. It's there if you need it. And yeah. when that when the time arises and you need a winch and you don't have it, mm -hmm. that can be a really bad situation. That mm -hmm. could mean a lot of walking. That could mean um, in the, in a bad scenario that could mean freezing to death. Yes. So, um, that's, that's, uh, that falls right into that category. That's kind of like my side of it. Right. Um, but I, so once upon a time I was an EMT. Oh, nice. Um, I didn't really work as an EMT. I got all my training and everything like that and did some volunteer stuff, very little stuff, but that has come into handy for me a bunch of times in just just the weirdest situations, right? You're just sitting there and all of a sudden something happens. I wonder sometimes, is it because I'm, I have the training that I have to be in the spot? <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? It, it goes that way. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's being able to react in the moment and know what to do. Um, I remember one time I was at Powder Mountain and this, this kid, I was about to hit a kicker and I'm like, mm, I'm going to go around. Something just told me to go around. It was a little bit of a day where I couldn't see that well either. So I was worried about my landing came around the side and there was a bunch of people huddled around this kid just mm. laying there. He was just laying like this. Right. Yeah. 
and um, I'm watching what they're doing and um, they try and lift him up. And I'm like, oh, whoa, no, 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 no. I, I pop off my board and I go over there. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're just trying to get him on his feet. And I'm like, is he, is he even conscious? What happened? You're like, oh, he hit the jump and he crashed. And I'm like, don't move him. Oh my gosh. Don't lay him down. It was his friends. And so I got, I said, lay him down. Don't touch him. And he was not conscious. He was kind of in and out. Oof. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, you don't want to move him. You want to get, uh, we need a sled here so we can get him down. The weird part is is the ski patrol went to the wrong area but the more and more this kid he started coming out of it the more and more yeah. he sat there and everything he started coming out of it he he was not with it um it took him a while to figure out what was going on but he he definitely hit his heart head pretty hard Oof. and so he's like i think i'm just gonna go down and i'm like okay look here's the thing and i checked him out and i'm like i don't feel anything weird with your neck or anything like that but i'm like look dude you need to go right to the hospital right now. Don't, don't mess around with this. Yeah. Um, even if you start feeling better and you start remembering stuff, you literally need to go to the hospital go right now. Out. Ski patrol did not come. You know, you have to, the only way you're going to get to the top is by going to the bottom and back up. I told his friends to monitor him. I told him like, but he needs to go to the hospital now. Um, and, um, I hope that's what they did. Yeah. Right. But, um, We'll see how that goes. I mean, because that's like like Liam Neeson's wife. That's how she died, right? Yeah. She hit her head. Brain bleed. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh, I'm fine. It's just a headache. And, you know. Gone. That was it. And it's just, it's it's very interesting um, how delicate we really are as humans. It's like we're pretty, we're pretty robust. But in the end, we're very delicate at the same time. And it doesn't take much. We, you know, we all, I, I think, you know, most of us want to be tough, mm -hmm. which is good. I yeah. think we want to be tough and rugged, but man, if, if you, yeah, we are fragile. If you mm -hmm. misguess something and, and it's also knowing the signs of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's knowing, um, you know, are your pupils equal and reactive, right? That's a simple thing. You can test that with your phone. I do that with my kids like all the time because they hit their heads, right? Mm -hmm. um, but knowing these little things that are not common knowledge can make a huge difference yeah. in somebody's life. So, yeah. and that's, I mean, effectively, that's kind of what you do, right? You're mm -hmm. teaching a lot of those basic skills. It's not all about guns and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It's, it's literally just survivability of when, when something can happen. Yeah. Right. It's, that's it's, I would say guns is like the minority of it, anything we, we teach and mm -hmm. people on the surface have said, Oh, you know, Mike's that tactical guy. It's like, what's well, my background? It's my background, but the question of starting Phil Cross survival of survival or preparedness business derived from my curiosity of like, why does a, how do a group of men, Rangers, special forces guys go into harm's way deliberately and intentionally into the worst case scenario? I mean, landing a helicopter on top of a roof full of foreign fighters wanting to kill you is definitely the worst case scenario. Yeah. How do you, how do you intentionally do that? And then how do you come out on top? How do you mm -hmm. come out unscathed? And most people would say, oh, because you know how to shoot, move, communicate. You know how to, you know all the tactics, you know CQB, you know whatever it is. I was like, it's none, it's none of that. It's everything collectively. It's the culture, it's the community, it's the trust in one another, it's the resilient, it's the mindset, it's the fitness, it's the attention to detail, it's the planning, it's the contingency planning, mm -hmm. it, it's the uh, paying attention to the right equipment for the job. Um, it's the rehearsals, all the checks, all those things. So when you look at that, 
Preparedness should be a process through a culture, not necessarily a technical hobby or skill set. Yeah. Because it, it, it takes an active, conscious person to be tuned in in a very, you know, technologically saturated world where we're distracted constantly. Yes. And I think when you look at stats across the board, a lot of people are losing their lives because of the distractions they have in, immersed in technology. Mm -hmm. Because we forgot like, oh yeah, there's this primal sense or this ancestral sense of being available to adapt and to make change and to see the oncoming car or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but we're too distracted. So I think co collectively, uh, a lot of people perceive us to be one thing. And then when they get into the fold, whether it's an academic experience of learning how to can and jar, you know, learning family preparedness, yeah. we yeah. do it all from, mm -hmm. from canning and jarring to resilience experiences. Uh, we do it all. So it's like um, preparedness is complicated and as a business, even more so. Yeah, there's yeah. there's nothing terribly sexy about canning and jarring. Nothing there's at all. Nothing. Try to get a whole <laughs> bunch of not. gunfighter guys to show up to a canning and jarring class <laughs> and pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the first thing that like pops in my head is somebody's mom, just like okay, yeah. you know, that's it. <laughs> that's if I if I, I thought about this once, I was like, you know, we'll do the jars and multicam. Because if we have yeah, yeah. multicam jars, the, the guys will think it's cool. No, no, seriously. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what you got to do. You have to. You, you have I think to. you just got yourself another business idea it, right here. You have to. <laughs> Black multicam jars for canning and jarring. I think you I think you might have something. Let's 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 make canning sexy again. Yeah, right we there. have to. That should be that should be a bumper sticker at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah. That's a t shirt right a there. T -shirt. I just got you a t shirt. That's it. That's it. I'll make ten Little bucks at survival. least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll buy one for myself. Make canning sexy again right there. <laughs> I actually like that. Make, yeah. Making jarring uh sexy again. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm looking forward to it. I'll I'll buy one too. <laughs> so let's talk about your rig that you got out here. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. F three fifty. Yeah. It's big. It is big. <laughs> that that camper is big. It's massive. <laughs> it's massive. I don't know how I'm going to get in that thing now with my kids, especially. Like the kids, I could pick them up, put them in it. Yeah. But it's like, how am I going to get up in that thing? It's, it's a big. step stool, man. It, it it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. No, that's going to be cool though. Yeah. Yeah. I the the intent. So it's a super duty quad cab with mm -hmm. a nine foot bed. Yeah. And um. Brent from Bone Customs, uh, they're good friends of ours. Mm -hmm. uh, they make a great uh, flatbed setup with drawers. And the goal for me was, one, we teach out of those rigs. Right. Uh, me and Mike Hernandez teach uh, overland mobility experiences um, all over the country. And when you have a rig, you need to have kind of all the capability, capacity, and you need to be able to use it for students. Mm -hmm. So we need the drawers to fit up, you know, maintenance and recovery systems for all the students mm -hmm. um, we might need to transport ammo for a security block of uh, of training and have all the ammo and all the guns so i kind of went to brent with the concept and said hey man this is what i wanted to do and he he had a bowen um he had his setup on a nine foot bed with the scout camper okay and he said scout so far out of all the companies i've seen the drawbacks are the height it's yeah. it's super tall. Mm -hmm. um, one of the benefits is it's all aluminum, so it's super lightweight. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the totality of the build, from you guys' front bumper, which I wanted a still front bumper, mm -hmm. we talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're in the back country of Utah. I mm -hmm. mean, I saw five elk on the way here from my house in Heber, and you hit an elk in a super duty without a front bumper. Yeah, good luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, even good luck. 
avoiding seriously body bodily injury. Yeah. Because here in Utah, a moose or an elk will walk straight across the highway where you're going 75 miles an hour. Yep. And they'll come straight off the hill where you can't see them coming because they're elevated. They'll come down, they'll hit it, and then you always have, I mean, this season we've already had a tragic accidents where people get killed from moose, elk, deer, mm. whatever it is. Wow. So I wanted still, and I was willing to compromise that weight uh, to be able to do recovery points, to break through obstacles. Mm -hmm. And also I wanted the cattle guard, which, you know, it's a loop that allows you to get over the radiator. But I also, you know, I work on remote locations and I like to overland in remote locations mm -hmm. where there's actually cattle, you know, like there's, there's yeah. cows all over Utah, mm -hmm. land lease agreements and BLM. So um, moving the way back, uh, we put a Carly suspension on it. I think that's the first truck in the country with the adaptive system that's electronic from the cab. Oh, okay. I can't remember nice. the name of the system. But as far as I know, it's never been put on a overland um, full-duty mm. setup. It's been okay. put on full-duty trucks, but never a camper setup, which they spec it based over the axle specific weight by pound mm -hmm. and then tuned it that way, which mm -hmm. is really cool. It's a really robust system. And then going back, it, it was a quad cab commercial F-350. I didn't want anything fancy. Yeah. I don't like chrome and all the packages. Like I, and, and I have twin three-year-olds. So it's like oh, wow. they destroy anything yeah. that they get in. So <laughs> there's going to be gummy bears wedged in the seat. So I don't want leather. I don't need any of that. So cloth, all commercial. And then coming back, the Bowen Customs drawer system. I think the coolest thing about the Bowen Customs drawer system is the space directly behind the the quad cab yeah um which gives you i think it's i think it's 15 plus inches you could fit a 37 inch full size spare oh, in nice. that in that void in that little in oh, that in that yeah. section which is cool um i actually talked about yesterday but I, like i have an overlandish um base camp tent which is massive it's pretty big but it could fit directly behind there so for base camping i could set up a tent on the ground and then take the rig to go kind of out and about, right? Yeah. If if the scouts kind of pulled off of it, or even even if it's on it, and then scout camper, we went with the scout camper. Um, the guys at Scout are great. It's a great company. It's in uh, they build them in Yakima, Washington, which is mm, really nice. cool. Um, they're aluminum. They're fancy. I'm not used to that level of fancy. Um, diesel heaters. <laughs> all the all the like. I mean, a full a, a bathroom, a kitchenette, all the stuff. A, a queen size bed. Wow. And people were like, oh, you know, you think that's a kind of overkill. For me, it's not because I'll spend 150 days in that rig a year. Wow. You know, like, yeah. we'll be, I mean, I'm, I'm driving that rig to Colorado for a week mm -hmm. um, on Friday. Mm -hmm. As soon as it comes out of the shop here, uh, tomorrow we're putting 37s on it, mm -hmm. um, hopefully from Will Pros. And then we're rolling out to uh, Colorado to go teach a three day class. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, big setup but it's it's proper for us yeah something you you that's interesting that a lot of people don't i'm noticing there's a trend in just in the off-road industry and part of it i mean it's expense there's all these things but the trend is for smaller bumpers lighter weight stuff which isn't a bad thing right yes yeah i think that's fine depending on what you're doing yeah one thing that you hit on that a, that a lot of people may not realize is that it is also it, it's 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 why ARB as a company is ARB, right? Yeah. With which um, ARB's whole need, and, and if you go to Australia, there's so many vehicles that have bull bars and stuff on it, and they have that because kangaroos are 
effectively suicidal. Yes. They're literally just fine with jumping right into the front of a car. Um, but the issue is you get in the outback and you pop your radiator because you mentioned that cattle guard to protect that. If you pop your radiator, you are, have a really high probability of dying. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You have no inform, no cell service out there no stuff. You, Utah, the West isn't necessarily all that remote, but there's areas if you are going to explore that you could have this problem come up right? It's very important that you protect your radiator. So that's our, our design philosophy, not to jump into my thing, but our design philosophy just on bumpers is that we always want to make it so you do and can have that. If somebody chooses, they can have that full, full frontal protection. That's why our bumpers are generally a little bit bigger. Yeah, I'm noticing like the trend is to get smaller and I'm like, why is everyone all about getting so much smaller? Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I, I guess it looks sleek. It looks clean. Yeah. Um, there's some sexy stuff about it looking small and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like you need a little bit more bulk if you're going to get that full funnel protection from an animal. I mean, you don't, nobody wants to cream an animal. It's, yeah. it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But man, yeah. getting stuck out in the middle of nowhere or even on the side of the road in a bad snowstorm and stuff like that, you get the wrong blizzard. It can be rough. Yeah. So I don't, I would never. If somebody asked me, like, hey, re- what's the recommendation for a setup? I don't think I would ever put anything but steel and always go with a loop on the front end of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like the, the weight that you sacrifice because you're worried about your low capacity, which is the thing, that's where you put your weight. Like, yeah. that's where you want to have the weight. Because especially if you're an overlander doing remote overlanding in places, like you said, where you're away from infrastructure on purpose. I'm not like right. overlanding to get into more people and more infrastructure. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from it. So if, it, and I've done it, I've smacked, I, I grew up jeeping in North Carolina in my TJ and everywhere I've been in my TJ that I've had for 24 years now, um, in North Carolina, especially you smack a whitetail deer with, with that, with no loop on the front end of your vehicle, it will dis- I mean, the radiator, it's almost like it's outside the vehicle. It's like right there. <laughs> you can see it through the grill. Um, it just smacks it and it will destroy your front end cooling system and you have no options. There's no options after that. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the, we're talking about being prepared, you know, like the idea of a winch. You know, most experts will tell you they've never really used a winch unless they're pulling somebody else out. And that's the right mindset, that's the right mm-hmm. protocol. But it's the same thing with a loop. It's like, man, can you imagine the one time you you said, oh, yeah, I want the bumper. Do you want a loop or not? No loop. And then you smack a deer or an elk and you're like, <laughs> oh, my God. One yep. decision. I could have added the loop. And it's not a big deal. It's like add the loop every yeah. time. I mean, just right there. I mean, setting aside the expense of it, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. The front end of cars is not getting any, they're not getting cheaper. They're not. They're adding so much more plastic. I mean, yeah. it's all that, it's the necessity of aerodynamics that's really driving the gas mile, uh, the miles per gallon kind of issue and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that's why they're doing all this stuff is they're just trying to to boost as every ounce of efficiency as they can. Yep. Um, but it's, it's making that front end more and more and more expensive just yeah. constantly. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's not only you know, survivability, there is a sizable expense. Yeah. And if you look at it, the front end of most vehicles, especially with new safety systems, the whole front end is meant to crumble mm-hmm. and take profound impact, but it's not rating deer impact, right? Yeah, no, so sir. that impact that like one, one hundredth of the impact it's made for 
will just send it through that bumper system. I mean, you look at a Tacoma, you look at a, a Forerunner. I've had all those. When you pull off the piece of plastic, you're like, this piece of styrofoam is all that's there. It's like, yeah, because it activates your airbag and everything else is meant to crumble in place. Mm -hmm. So when you think about like, okay, well, let's look at a deer. Let's look at an elk, a 600 to 1,000 pound animal. Like, yeah. ooh, this is not going to work in your favor, mm -hmm. right? It's and it's and it's something that happens all the time, especially you, you live in the West. But I'd say anywhere in the country, like North Carolina. I mean, I was just out in Iowa deer hunting. I've never seen so many deer in my life. Really? And I'm like, I, we almost hit a hundred deer when we were there because it was really they're just out of control. The population is out of control. I wonder what just, that's. Uh... I think it's the the moisture rate. They were telling me it's like something with the moisture, and they've been plentiful hmm. and breeding but now they have more food than they've ever had so they're just interesting they're just everywhere so There's it's an just it's and it's in in that population i mean in in the west because we've had the snow oh, so, so crazy brutal. i mean it's terrible like um i've seen deers every deer everywhere deer everywhere up in my neighborhood and stuff like they're that they're grass. all over the place yeah right. like deer wild turkey and stuff and i'm like this is kind of abnormal for this time of year but yeah. you look up the hill a little ways and you've got six feet of snow yeah you know what i mean they there's got nowhere, nowhere for them to go, go. Yeah. yeah they're on the roads yeah there's so many dead i've never seen so many dead animals mm. in my life it's, yeah. it's pretty sad yeah. it is yeah. it's really tragic i was noticing that the other day um when we were uh, did you drive down to moab probably yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's just, oh what's there's, that route going through uh through spanish know, fork uh yeah i can't remember what it's called yeah that canyon or whatever deer everywhere. everywhere just all over oh my gosh it was insane that drive there was pretty gnarly too that snowstorm yeah oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that was gnarly. it's like you better have still everything on your on your vehicle going through there yeah well that's pretty uh this has been a really good conversation how, how far do you want to go on this do you want to keep oh going? up to you yeah, yeah. Up to you. no this is great i'm learning a lot i like it Awesome. I like what you do and stuff like that i mean I, I, I follow you guys on instagram stuff like that i see a lot of the things that you're doing i think it's pretty cool so, and I mean, I think your build, I think you're, you're going the right track with what you're, with, with what you're building. Yeah. So, um, I kind of want to go lower on the scout. Like the scout's so tall. It's very tall. That kind of shocks me. It's very tall. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I have to look at like under, un, like underpasses, like in small towns yeah. that have certain, like 13 feet. I'm looking at it and going, oh, I might not make it underneath this. Um, the other day. Um, we were doing some stuff and there's like the tree line and even how the trees connect. I was like, dude, I'll rip the whole thing off of this. I don't think it's yeah. meant to be on a rig that has 37s on like a, you know, whatever the lift is. It's like a 10 inch lift from Carly. It's like, a, is it that big? It's not, it's not but huge, it's but it's big. Yeah. It's not, it's not small, but it's not big, but it's like, it's like I'm leaning on a lower profile setup, you know, yeah. That something like if you're in Canyonlands or Moab, you're fine. But but if you're going anywhere in North Carolina, Washington State, like we go, we do stuff in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, there's areas I couldn't even get because the the trees, I couldn't even get it through there. So hmm. I, I think maybe a lower, maybe a lower camper, like a mm -hmm. pop up, maybe or something pop like up. that. Yeah, I think that's what something I might do is pop up. I'm hoping, and I'm this is my prediction for the overland industry is is I'm seeing and I'm hoping that what you're going to see is people moving towards a little bit more simplicity, a little bit more lightness. I mean, yeah. it's always been important to be lightweight just because of the load ratings of your vehicles and stuff like that. But at the same time, like modularity helps. I just think you're going to see more movement towards that, like 
if, if you can afford a dedicated overlander, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's some great ones out there, but for a lot of us, it's, it's pretty crazy to do that kind of thing, right? It's like, okay, yeah. getting a tent and a bed rack, it's nice and stuff like that. And you get that set up. Unfortunately, too many of us end up just being a mall crawler 99% of the time. 100%, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think uh, it also kind of kills the utility of, of the truck. You know what I mean? It does. So yeah. I'm working on trying to make it so things are a little bit easier to remove. Tents and stuff like that, it's like it becomes your storage spot, stop, yeah. spot for your tent. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, why store your tent there? Tents are, a lot of them are heavy. I love these little tents that like the guys from uh, C6 Outdoors are building. Yeah. They're, they can be a ground tent or they can be, you know, laid out on a rack. They're 26 pounds. Yeah. It's a simple way to go. Um, I just think it's really neat because there's a lot of technology that's being added versus like when I see people that are doing these tents, we put a tent on a, a Tundra and I'm not going to name names here, but um, this tent was the heaviest freaking tent I have ever. Really? I was worried about putting it on. I'm like, wow. this thing's this thing should not go on the back of this truck because it was so heavy. Wow. It took like five of us to lift it. And I'm like, this is not the route you want to go. You get the, a, a lot of people want to drive fast, right? Yeah. You get something like that. That's big, heavy. I mean, it, Dude. my rack's not going to break. Your yeah. bed's going to break. That's oh, what's yeah. going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you just, um, I'm, I'm hoping that that's what we see more of. I, I hope we see a trend towards more versatility. I think we're going to see that trend. Yeah. And I think that's all a good, good thing. But yeah, the, the big, t that's, that's a hard one for me. Like the camper thing that's why i haven't jumped into something like that is because i always look at these trails and i'm like that's great for maybe a logging road yeah but some of these tighter yeah. trails i've been down them and it's like that's a hard that's a hard thing to get down it's tough and that's where i want to go i mean the kids i'm typically taking the kids into places that are like off the reservoir you know it's a camping location where it's designated right i'm not doing a lot of you know canyon lands and um yeah open desert is pretty open good. desert you know what i mean but now I want to get in it when, as they get older, I want to start exploring like the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. um, California. And now I'm like, Ooh, tight this, trees. This is going to be tough. Tight roads. Yeah. I think I need to do something a little bit more slimmer. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I look at it too and go, if I can't get through a Chick-fil-A drive through <laughs> that's a problem. For yeah. Me. Like I need to yeah. eat and I want to get through a drive through <laughs> I was going to say, you can, uh, on the logging roads, there's always the chainsaw, right? You just have to bring the chainsaw along, yep. get ready for it, but you can't really do that on Chick-fil-A's drive-thru. That's true. It's not really going to That's true. fly. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't give me a sandwich. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A. It's good stuff, man. I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. I like I wish, their salads. I would buy, yeah, I would buy stock in Chick-fil-A if they were public. If it was a thing? Yeah. If it yeah. was, I'd be a huge investor. It's a great brand, man. They do a good job at running their, well, running their show. Um, they do. in and outs another one. They do a great job. They, great job. They just, just do it right. Yeah. They don't overcomplicate the process. Mm -hmm. They don't have too many options. It's just like, this is it. This is what we're mm -hmm. doing. And, you know, coupon codes in the, in the winter time for Christmas and, you know, peppermint milkshakes, just basic, simple stuff. I think yeah. that's, that's how you run a business. Just keep it simple. I'll tell you something that I love particularly about um, these companies is when you really look at them because of their, they've got this amazing throughput, right? They've mm -hmm. got this amazing system they've built up and they've got this amazing throughput. And I was thinking the other day, like particularly in and out, the burgers are still pretty cheap. Yeah. In comparison to everything else in the arena, their stuff is pretty cheap. They're not all around the country, right? You kind of have to be in the West to enjoy them. But yep. what impressed me so much when i was there last and i was just thinking about it. i'm like man think of how many people these guys feed 
like every day like churning it's amazing churning it out yeah, yeah. and um it's, it's such a necessity yeah. food is such a necessity and i'm like these guys figure out a way to in a very affordable method feed people a lot of people and um it's an interesting point of su survival right yeah it's it is. not like yeah. it's not this the survival that we're used to this idea or when we think of survival right a lot of survival is like okay we talked about canning being able to fire a gun and, and yeah. shoot a deer or something like that being able to do that thing that's the extreme side of what survival is now but day-to-day -day survival is is still a survival right yeah you, that's right i, I don't I never thought about it that way, but it's it's true. So it's like they're facilitating feeding people and it's a collaborative effort. It's mm -hmm. like I am buying into investing in paying for this food from you with with good options. And that that there's a synergy there. Community is a huge part of survival as well, mm -hmm. which is the cooperation between businesses and people or people and people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of people don't talk about that, but I think that's important, especially in urban dwellings, urban sprawls, cities, metropolitan areas, where you have dense populations of people yeah. where it's not intended to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. people people in nature don't live on top of each other. Like that's no, not, not at all. It's yeah. not it's very unnatural. But this again, some you know, I would say it's a synergy of of a relationship that, you know, we're gonna have a form and method. You pay us, we will feed you. Mm -hmm. That's the same as like a camp kitchen. You know, buying into the fact that, hey, we're going to be the food guys, the chuck wagon, mm -hmm. and we're going to provide food for the people that are there. And I, I like In-N-Out. You know, it's like uh, if you actually look in comparison, um, the meat is all natural. Mm -hmm. There are no preservatives, and they don't even use oil when they cook the beef. Yeah. Uh, they use uh, peanut oil peanut for oil, the fries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like the healthiest of the options that's just doing it right. Just like Chick-fil-A, just doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm hungry. Now, yeah. now I'm going to eat. Those guys, I'll tell you, it's the it's it's those guys. And I also love whoever the dude is that I used to know his name, actually, but the guy that invented Top Robin. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. <laughs> like that guy, that guy should really get sainthood. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's fed a lot of people. <laughs> he, he literally has fed a lot of people. For very cheap. The amount of college students that we have, yeah. the amount of, you never really think about that side of it, right? No. This infrastructure that exists and there's there's select innovators that exist in this world yeah. that really brought us a lot of stuff. Like that's one of them. Whoever the guy is that, that brought us Top Ramen, he's one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And camp food too. I mean, for, for Top Ramen, like in a, in a uh, camp setting, Man, somebody pulls off that and you just got it boiling over yeah. a fire. It's like, that's the best food that you can eat. It's better than like all that dehydrated stuff. It's yeah. even though it's dehydrated, it's like super good. Yeah. <laughs> we must be hungry. I think, I think we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting towards the last time. So, well, let's talk, let's talk the side of this that comes to you as the entrepreneur, yeah. right? Cause yeah. we kind of talked about you getting into the space that you're in, but you are technically you're an entrepreneur yeah right yeah. and that's what you are was that after military you're we like oh yeah i'm gonna start a business oh that sounds fun you know yeah, what was it i you know i grew up in business a very small business my mom and her sisters had businesses my mom had a beauty salon she turned our garage that was a dirt floored garage is like this like north carolina yeah this is yeah. north carolina and just converted that dirt floor garage poured concrete uh, set up one chair and did that for 10 years. Wow. And then she 
took that one chair into multiple chairs and you know now she owns one of the biggest spas in her town of uh, Fayetteville North Carolina that is so cool it's it's awesome and it's like you know growing up in that one thing I identified that made you successful in business is work ethic mm -hmm. so you know a lot of people think oh I could I could be an entrepreneur if I just follow the habits of successful people you know mm -hmm. like they wake up and they cold plunge and they do all these things it's like that's not what makes you successful. <laughs> Like, you know, like the most successful entrepreneurs in the world have horrible bad habits. Like mm -hmm. Elon Musk drinks like 50 Diet Cokes a day. Like he's got horrible habits. Yeah. Um, what, it, what does make them very good is consistency and staying in it disciplined for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Like everybody expects immediate results. So when I went into this business, I knew that this was going to be a difficult uh, undertaking. Because mm -hmm. preparedness as a company didn't exist. Survival did, but it was like the bushcrafter, right? It was like the guy teaching people how to make friction fires in the middle of the woods yeah. in North Carolina. Like that was the thing. But I don't look at that as business. That's like that's like a sole proprietorship, you know? And and sole proprietorships are very different yeah. than actual companies or businesses that are growing and evolving where the plan out the gate. It's like, how do we scale? Right. Like the entrepreneur who's doing bushcraft, he's not thinking about his five-year plan and acquisition. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so our my plan and my attempt at it was very different. But um, and I was, I thought I would be good at it because I was good at marketing in the military. Because in the military, if you want to do the best operations, like the best missions, you got to sell yourself. And okay. something I realized about most men in my field of special operations. They weren't good at selling themselves. Hmm. So they weren't good at saying, hey, chief of base, you know, this, the, guy, the head CIA guy. They weren't good at saying, hey, I have this capability. Like I would do, I would do spreadsheets. I don't think I've ever said this out loud. On <laughs> I would do spreadsheets on our resumes of all the operators that I had on my team. Like in Libya, I only had, I was the team leader and I had three guys. And I did spreadsheets of all our capabilities, all our combat experience. And I would put them together in packets and I would give them to the chief of mission, oh, who's the ambassador of the uh, of, of the specific department of state uh, embassy. And then I would give it to the chief of base, the head of the CIA. I said, hey, here's our capabilities. If you need us to do work for you, we are here and we want to work. And they would be like, holy crap, like nobody's ever done this. I was like, this is pretty fascinating. You're yeah. I'm like selling <laughs> myself. Yeah, to I do the job. Well, that's the thing is like, I didn't even know that was kind of a thing. Is that was that kind of a thing? Like if you wanted the good stuff, you had to actually it is. kind of fight for it a little bit. It's the it's actually weird is it's the only way. I mean, you're either proactive or you're reactive, right? Okay. In a reactive situation, the mission would come down and they would say, huh, who are our assets? Who do we have? And they mm -hmm. go, oh, well, we have this team. Like, well, who's this team? Like, we have this team. Who's this team? And they would make that decision um, really uninformed because they would just take somebody else's word for it. But if you're proactive, you let people know, hey, I want to get in a fight. And that was my mentality my entire military career. Mm -hmm. Like, the only reason I'm serving is because I want to fight. And like, well, there's no fight. Like, I don't want to serve then. I'm not going to be here. Mm. Oh, there is a fight. Oh, I'm all in. Let me let me let me be proactive. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to be good at marketing me and the team to go to work, and and if there was something that needed to be done, I was proactive in saying, "Hey, do you guys need help with this? Like, I could help you." So when you take those things and 
And like, like, let me give you a prime example. When I was a team sergeant in 10 Special Forces Group in Colorado, I used to make my team, my team, the, like I'm 6'1", my team guys were like 6'2 to 6'6", massive, like look like Spartans, like really fit, accomplished, <laughs> capable dudes, just yeah. like rock stars. So I looked at them one day and I said, um, hey, I went to my company commander and said, hey man, I want to do this thing with my team once a month. A project and they said yeah so what's the project i said i want to take them to an elementary school and i want to build a relationship with an elementary school i want to bring them in and i want to do projects i want to clean up the the, the school grounds i want to eat lunch with the kids if the teachers want us to talk to them we will but i want the kids to see us interacting with them especially in our own community at fort carson colorado okay at colorado yeah. springs yeah and they were like what? Like nobody's ever done that. Like what's that's kind of weird. I was like, I just made it up because I want us to do, I want us to be involved in helping the community, but I want my guys to learn through that experience because I want them to understand how important it is to give back. Because my mom, even as a, a, a day-to-day surviving entrepreneur yeah, was giving back on like Thanksgiving. She would buy, she would go to a Sam's club and buy as many turkeys as she, as she could afford and then gave them to families that were poor. Mm-hmm. And we weren't rich. We weren't even, I mean, we were probably under the poverty line. I mean, we weren't doing great. We didn't have a car until I was 16 years old. Wow. My mom didn't have a car until uh, yeah. I was 16. So I did that, and that was a profound experience for both my team guys, for the school, and collectively I realized every plan should involve a way of giving back. Yeah. Philanthropically. Mm-hmm. So if you make money, you should have a plan to give money. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I was raised. So when I took all those things and applied it to business, my business plan was based on my value, my character, my experience. It wasn't based on a protocol from a Forbes five, you know, Fortune 500 um, line out of business. It was basically, hey, if I do these certain things like value proposition, if mm-hmm. I give people value, they're going to give back. How do I know if it's working? Well, one day I think I'll know, but I won't know until I know. Right. And so that was a methodology I went to the business with. All of those things is how this business kind of unfolded, where it's like just me teaching people. You know, we got I got the King of Malaysia's contract for for co- a contract for Philcraft early on, and then we're you know a, a fifty employee company growing and thriving. It, it all started with the idea of like. Hey man, here's some principles. Let's apply these and see where this goes. Because mm-hmm. I had no idea we were we were pioneering a space for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, there's not from from what you guys do. I don't really. I mean, you probably know who your competitors are, people that you you work around with that in that space. But you, to me, as far as everything that I've seen, are kind of you. Yeah. You guys are a very mm-hmm. unique brand. Specifically, what you're doing. I mean, when you're, I, I have a, I have a friend who, uh, special forces colonel, his name's Randy Watt. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Randy, but he was a uh, chief of police of Ogden for a while and stuff awesome. like that. Awesome. He retired and everything like that. He has his own training company and stuff like that. But his training is much more. It's it's the sexy side. It's guns. Mm-hmm. It's tactical training. It's it's the fighting. It's all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's where his world in. If, if I brought up canning to him, he'd be like, oh, no, yeah, it's, not, today. it's not, not going to happen. Maybe tomorrow. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is, it is a unique uh, skill set. What you guys bring to the table is very unique versus 
what's out there. I mean, you can go to a ton of places. You can go to Gunsight, you know, yeah. and there's all those places. Yeah. You can go down and learn all sorts of gun techniques and tactics and whatever. Um, but there's not too many places that with, with your focus, it's more of just survivability, worst case scenario, and knowing... It, it, I think it's when you say lifestyle, you said lifestyle. And I think it's kind of like the lifestyle point is just being situationally aware and mm -hmm. driven. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, when it comes to business too, I think for me, one of the biggest thing that's, it, it's having that constant drive. There's something just in you. that's kind of like, even when things are just terrible and you don't want to wake up, mm. you get up. Yeah. You just get up. And in fact, generally it's like, you'd much rather just go to bed and sleep all sleep in if you could, but you're going to wake up early mm -hmm. and you're going to start tackling it. Right. You're mm -hmm. going to be like, okay, let's face, you know, we've got all, all these things went crappy. Great. Let's face them. Let's, 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 uh, let's work on them. Let's break them down and let's move to the next step. That's what I feel a big part of being an entrepreneur is. It is for sure. So, yeah. 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 yeah I, I it's like one day at a time sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't understand when you start a business out the gate, everybody wants something from you. You're taxed by the federal government, by the state, by name the board, name the commission, name the organization, the bills, the overhead. So what I found is a lot of people say, oh, I could start a business. And my advice mm -hmm. is do so, mm -hmm. do that. And, and then I will tell you, I told you so in a short period of time because it only takes a few months, maybe years to navigate the understanding of what entrepreneurship really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like you said before the podcast started, a lot of people think, think it's sexy. Yeah. And they, they fall in love with the, all the attributes that they see on the surface. Mm -hmm. That's typically a marketing strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing this thing and it must be nice to have this thing or do this thing. And it's like, that's part of it. But they don't see, you know, you working your own books until midnight. Mm -hmm. They don't see you uh, hiring and firing because the turnover rate's 60 plus percent. Yeah. They don't see you, you know, trying to make ends meet while trying to navigate how you're going to make enough revenue to pay the bills and also pay your employees. Mm -hmm. Those challenges persist in every entrepreneur experience. It's mm -hmm. rare to not have that out the gate for an extended period of time. And that time, most people think, oh yeah, I start a business six months. I'm going to start seeing results. Try 10 years. Yeah. Like 10 years is a minimum. Yep. Like come to me and if you ask me for business advice, I'm going to say whatever you have, if it's a good idea, you're willing to commit, you're willing to put in the, the, the hard work, the ethic, and you're, you're willing to adapt at the speed of business, I'll see you in 10 years. Yeah. And then we'll see where you're at. And most people, when if you would tell them they would have to commit 10 years of their life in order to be successful, they wouldn't do it. No. And, and I've seen hundreds, now it's hundreds over the near decade of me being in business. Hundreds of business that have come to me who said, we have this idea, we have this thing, we want to do this. And they started doing it, they got bored, they got complacent, or they just didn't have it in them. And mm -hmm. now those businesses don't exist. Mm -hmm. So it, it's rare to actually grow up in business and then have other brands and companies of businesses that are still around. Mm -hmm. It's super rare. I think that's what they say. I think they, uh, I'm, I'm probably 
getting a false statistic, but it's something like 90% of all it's businesses yeah, fail that's, within that's the first right. yeah. five years or something that's like that. Right. It's either five years or one year, something like that. It's a huge number. And if you survive past that five to 10 year mark, that's like, give yourself a, you know, yeah. a pat on the back because you're doing something that very few people are, yeah. are being successful at. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I have people ask me this all the time because they see what we do. They see what we make and stuff like that. And they're like, wow, this is, this is a great business you've got here. This is a lot of fun. A lot of people, I, I, I think they trip out on me because they see that what I, what I do. And then when they found out that I started the company, I founded it. They're kind of like, that's weird. Cause I, I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to judge yourself when you're, when you're inside yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I probably get a little bit more of, I can see how I was by looking at my kids a little bit. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, um, I'm a little bit of a nerd is the reality of it. And, and it's kind of like the, I, it's what I do. Isn't that is, it, I think it's cool. I like what I do. Um, yeah. they, people are often surprised when they find out that I do all the design work and I develop my own product and I know how to run all the equipment and stuff like that. It kind of surprises yeah. them. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was going to say like, <laughs> that's literally an entrepreneur. Yeah, you should it know is. it all. It's, it's not you just being able to go, well, I'll just hire somebody and they do it and I'll sit yeah. in the office and yeah. hang out. You're it's basically a scale and outsourcing yourself. Like mm -hmm. you should have done all the things and because in scale, when you advanced in that position, your time now is reallocated into something not necessarily more important, but it's reallocated where now you say, okay, I was running that machine. Now I'm going to focus on marketing. Now I'm going to hire a guy to run that machine. Yeah. And people don't realize like <laughs> you're just constantly working yourself out of a job as much as possible. Right. That's true. And, and you know, I've reallocated, I have people that do everything for me now and I still am completely swamped. So it's yeah. not like you yep. outsource the time and you get it back personally. Mm -hmm. You just reallocate it to something else more invested in the company. Yeah. Yeah. Like doing things like this, which is awesome. Yeah. It yeah. is. It is awesome. This is the fun side of it. This right? is the fun side of it. You yeah, get to network. Sure. You get to meet new people. You get to have conversations. Um, which, speaking of which, I'm curious, are you are you doing any of like the Overland Expo shows? Or are you going to be yeah, doing that stuff? I'll be at all of them. Nice. Okay. So I'm doing this year, I'm doing. Overland Expo all three days, teaching some classes. I have my whole team out there. It'll be really fun. That's the one in Scottsdale. You'll be yeah, doing that. One yep. For, it, uh, is uh, it Scottsdale? No. Flagstaff. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And then, um, uh, so I'll have a booth in Expedition Overlands uh, booth, their big booth. We have a tent right. in their booth, okay. and then we have our prime booth over by the motorcycles this year. And then I will be at Touratex big motorcycle show um, in June mm. for a week. Because we're we're you know we've always been we've been in Overland since we started it started the field cross survival, but because uh, we teach Overland mobility experiences which teach survival first aid recovery maintenance all the things, um, and then we're kind of going into motorcycles a little bit more because it's a good market it's I mean it's a good yeah. market of good people who do a lot of remote work mm -hmm. I mean, they're out in the back country doing. Uh, different trailheads and 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 different trail systems that there's no reception. Yeah. Um. So we're educating in those in those areas, and we're doing some equipment, um, some soft goods in those areas as well. Nice. Okay. Yeah, we're yeah. excited about it. Okay. Yeah, we have. I've just I was checking on that. I mean, we're going to do the three primary ones. There's the one in Colorado too. The one in uh, yeah, 
uh, Asheville, North Carolina, or North Carolina. Yeah, I won't be doing that one. We don't do. We won't. That's a little too far for me. It's too far. (laughs) It's like you got a convoy or ship. It is logistically very tough to do. Yeah. 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 It's one I I've I've wanted to do that, but I mean, it's an it's an area that I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Is at least. For me, I mean, the East Coast is kind of like, I know we ship a lot of stuff to the East Coast and it's just, it's gets expensive. Yeah. Florida is exa- insanely expensive, apparently. So expensive. I don't, I don't know what the deal is with, apparently Florida doesn't produce much, is yeah. what I hear. Yeah, they import everything almost. Yeah, yeah. so that's yeah. kind of rough. Nothing, the trucks go in, but they don't bring anything out, yeah. which is just kind of a crazy thing. But yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, I think to me, just looking at you, you definitely have... Like I said it before, perseverance. Yeah. That seems to be something you've got to just have to yeah. to make entrepreneurial ship work. You know what I mean? It's yeah. very difficult. I watch I have a lot of friends that um I shouldn't say I have a lot of friends, but I have several friends that they're third generation, right? Second or third generation business owners. Um, so their their grandpa started it, yeah. their dad built it, and then here they are. Um some of them are extremely successful, right? Because they're just maintaining a system, yeah. um, you know, yeah. and that's, and that's great. That they're doing it. They do face their challenge, but it's interesting watching the family dynamics in some of these two, where it's just kind of like you, you've got brothers and family that have to fight one another, or you know, have to, have to make their way. And what's interesting is, is you always tend to see, I don't say you tend to see it, but there's not a ton of companies that last too much past that third or fourth generation um, yeah. because it's just like the all the all the information you collected from starting your business to growing your business is so vital into making good judgment yeah you know what i mean yeah. to, to see the path that you need to go it's so vital to have had that struggle i think that's just in in general that's part of survivability mm. in general you know what i mean is having that struggle. I mean, if you, you were in the special forces, you had to do all sorts of stuff to make it through that, right? Mm-hmm. And in in order to get to that point where like, okay, now I can I can operate, right? Which I don't know what drives somebody to do that, by the way. Is it because it looks sexy or is it Yeah. Or is it like probably. what drives somebody to want to do that stuff? I think more so it's probably that. I I I personally I grew up my dad was in the army. Mm. My uncle was in the navy. And I grew up watching all the movies. And yeah, I thought they were cool. And I grew up playing guns and playing war, and it was part of the culture that I was immersed in. Like me and my cousin, you know, built forts and we watched A Team and mm-hmm. we, we watched Navy Gotta Seals. Love the A Team, that was good stuff. It's great. It was great shit. <laughs> um, but I, I think part of that, you know, that's the influence that is Hollywood or or Western culture and influence like makes it very sexy. It makes it very sexy. And and then you get into those jobs and they're sexy. I mean, they're, they're, they're substantial and there's, but I, I never looked at them as, I think a lot of guys look at them as uh, ways of life versus professions. Okay. And I never looked at it that way. Cause I, I realized, you know, like, man, this is a job, you know? And, I I didn't want I honestly didn't want the army to define who I was through a lifetime. Like I know a lot of guys who the their entire military stint, four years, three years, one combat rotation, fifteen years, twenty years, their entire life is defined by that experience. And I 
like sometimes I forget I was in the army. It doesn't even feel like running a company and doing all the things that I do. I forget, I'm like, oh yeah, I did that. I forgot I did that. You know, like, oh yeah, I was in the CIA. Like I, none of that stuff kind of defines me now, especially moving forward. I mean, I felt like being, you're an old guy if you're in your forties and now here I am in my forties and I'm like, man, I got a lot of life ahead. Yeah. I got yeah. two, three-year-olds. You're, you're like in your prime. You I'm know like, I mean? yeah. I mean, it's like, I got two, three-year-olds and you know, on the business side of it, I, th I I do think I was just hanging out with uh, the U-Haul son, uh, Stuart, who's the son. Um, his dad kind of took it from his grandfather. His grandfather started it after World War II, mm. and U-Haul's been super successful. When you look at that, he's just as passionate as the grandson of U-Haul as I imagine the grandfather was when he started it, Yeah, except he didn't have to go through that struggle. And right. he and he knows that. I mean, he communicated to me about it when we were eating lunch. I mean, his his granddad drove. They didn't have this idea or, or understanding of how interstate transfers of any equipment took place. Hmm. And he was one of the first guys in hauling vehicles where this guy was like, "Hey, I, I need to borrow this truck. Is there any way I could like drive it to this location and drop it off?" He's like, "He's like, I don't know, but let me let me look into that." And then he went to the he went to a gas station, and he had a piece of paper and a binder, and he said, "Hey, would you guys be interested in like receiving this and then potentially letting it go through somebody else, passing through somebody hmm. else's hands?" Interesting. And he even did blind cases of it where he would give the folder to the person who was renting the vehicle. Yeah, the guy would drive it across state lines, and he would get to a gas station and hand it to the gas station owner. And in the packet that was sealed, he would open it and it says, if you're reading this, congratulations, you're, you're a U-Haul dealer. If you accept <laughs> the terms of this, sign this, accept the vehicle and do the thing. Like a shot in the dark, like yeah. a complete shot in the dark. But if you're a gas station owner and you read it and you went, I make money off this and all yeah. I have to do is park this car in the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll do that. And like you imagine where we were at in our beginning entrepreneur experiences like, trying to innovate, trying to be different, trying to market, do all those things. And then three generations down the road, you're just falling into the processes. Yeah. It's like, so when I run my business, I actually think about that for my children. I go, well, my son, I don't want him to potentially be in the army if he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Like if he doesn't want to join the army and have a resume for tactical gunfighting, then he shouldn't do that. But he's also a guy who needs to be running the company. Right. So, does he want to run the company? If so, I need to set this thing up for him. And, mm -hmm. and so I think about that often. It's like, what's like legacy for me is silly, like that whole idea and concept of legacy. But what I get about it is it's about what you leave behind for your right. children or mm -hmm. your children's children. Mm -hmm. And I, I think about that often when I make decisions in business. Yeah. No, that's a good, I, it's a super good point. I have to think about that quite a bit too. Legacy does matter. You it know does. What I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it affects it, decisions now. Yeah, you know, it, it should. Yeah it, yeah, it it really should. And it, I think it does. For me, it does. And I just think, yeah, legacy is definitely one of those things that matters for sure. Yeah, we're getting old. We're not going to be around forever. No, you're not. Like a friend of mine, uh, I had dinner with him a little while ago, and he's he's one of these dudes that he's pretty well off, right? His, his this is grandpa started the business. Dad built the business. He kind of, him and his brother kind of inherited it and everything like that. He got the education to build it and stuff. But he... We were having lunch and he was, he looked at me, he's like, dude, I'm almost 50. And I'm like, yeah, 
you are almost fit. He's like, can you believe that? And I'm like, yeah, just the other day, you know, we were skiing at Snowbird and you know what I mean? As teenagers being stupid. And here you are 50 and you're half broken and busted. <laughs> you know what I mean? It happens, it happens super fast, fast you know? Fast, man. And then it's like, you've got, so how many more good years do you got? You got 20, hopefully maybe 30 good mm. years. That's not a lot. It's not you know? a lot. You're past that half-life, so it's like you got to make it count at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, legacy does matter. And then it's like, and then, yeah, how are you passing whatever you've got, whether it's just intelligence, whether whatever value you bring, how are you passing that to your next generation so that is going to continue? Yeah, it's, it's important questions to ask for an entrepreneur or a person in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So... What is, not that you have to kill me all the deep, dark secrets, but what's next for Fieldcraft Survival? I mean, what's what's the direction you guys are taking it? So a lot of the things we do, um, we do in person, which is important to us. So we do, we do tra I mean, we train in four to six states a weekend. Okay. And we have products, obviously, direct-to-consumer that we sell. We do events. Um, we do preparedness seminars. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do is virtual online learning. So I tried last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I went, I, I said to myself, well, like, you know, a lot of people want to train with us, but they can't right. afford to fly to Utah and, and then pay for a, a, a pretty expensive course. Like they can't right. afford that. But the, if offered the opportunity, either mobile or uh, on TV, if they could tune into an app and get education, inspiration, entertainment, they potentially could would sub to that. Mm. So we started an LMS through a company and it just didn't work out because the same training that you take for a company that my employees take through HR, it's not the same kind of training uh, format that people would want to get uh, in how to defend your life in the worst case scenario or how to apply a tourniquet or first aid. So we had to develop that from kind of scratch. Mm -hmm. And so we we have been working on an app. That app drops June 6th, which is D-Day. Nice. Yeah. And it's the same day my book releases, which is called Prepared, a manual for worst case scenarios. And that that book is two years in the making. It's through Penguin Random House, which is, you know, publishers that publish Jordan Peterson. You know, yeah. it's and so it's it's been a long road. I just finished the audio recording yesterday, and nice. It was it was brutal. You're gonna be an person. author, dude. It's pretty cool. <laughs> We've already sold five thousand copies, which is really cool because yeah. we pre-sold them, and um, so that's happening on the same day on June sixth. And those are the big, those are the big reaches that I'm super excited about because it's like you know. Will we hit the New York Times bestseller list? There's a potential. Yeah. Will we hit the the lower list? There's a potential. And why is that important? Well, because we're we're having the opportunity to converse about preparedness to a larger and broader audience, mm -hmm. like people who are in our little echo chambers who are already into the things like overlanding, off roading, uh, hunting, backcountry adventure. It's like who are these people that aren't our customer that potentially will pick up a book and go, huh? This mm. guy's got an app. And they teach education, like in family preparedness. That's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, that's that's what I'm hoping for as we kind of evolve um, in the future. This has been a great podcast. Yeah, it was thanks a great for conversation. Me. I love podcast. I just love the like. I'm like somebody will listen to this, right? People yeah. will listen to it, I and hope I just so. think it, like this. Maybe this is a point of legacy. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. 
it's interesting how much information, how many books that we fill with information, but then how much information can just be out there to assist people and yeah. be a part of people's lives, man. Hope it helps somebody. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think I think it will. I think it's awesome that you you wrote a book. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. Yeah, appreciate it. It's a it's an accomplishment. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that too. I hope I hope it does well. I hope it I hope people it resonates with people. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. It'd be number one New York Times bestseller would be pretty rad. Or it, however that works. It, I don't know how that works. If it hit the list, it would be great. It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. I yeah. hope it does. We'll yeah, see how that it. goes. Yeah. Whether it does or doesn't, man, I think it's probably yeah. going to be a good book. It's going to be hope worth, so. worth reading and listening to. You have a great, by the way, you have a really great voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, it, voice. I hate my voice personally. Oh, your voice is Yours great. Yours is fantastic. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was. It didn't feel that way when I was recording this. This freaking audio book. No, no. It's saying. this is going to be a good. Your audiobook's going to be super easy to listen to. I hope so. You're you're you've got a perfect voice for that kind of thing. I hope so. So you're going to be in good shape. I hope so. You know, Ray, you ever heard of the Terminal List, the Jack Carr yeah series Terminal mm -hmm. List. So Jack Carr wrote my Ford for my book. Oh, nice. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, Ray Porter, who reads Terminal List, who has a great narration voice. He's got like one of the best voices I've ever heard because he does all the voices for all the characters in Terminal List. Yeah. Ray Porter is reading the Audible uh, Ford that Jack Carr wrote, which oh, is really nice. cool. nice. Which is really cool. The Ford is really good. I mean... Jack's one of the best writers in the world. I mean, he's a New York Times bestselling yeah. author. It's really cool. But it's the, I'm I'm most looking forward to hearing that Ford of the book. Yeah, should be cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hear it now too. Yeah, I it's, think it's gonna be awesome. Hopefully, it's good, man. June sixth. Yeah. June sixth. Yeah, it's good day. Good day to do it. Yeah, I think so. Is it? Your app drops the same day. Yeah, June sixth. The, so the app drops June. 6th App drops as well. June sixth. Yep, all so, the same day. So June sixth is the day. D day. D day is the day. D day is the day. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. We I didn't pick that date. The 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 publishers like, hey, we have a, a couple dates. Can you look at them? I was like, why did you guys pick June sixth? They're like, oh, it's just a Tuesday. It's that's a good day to do it. And I was like, but that's D day. And they're like, yeah, what's that? I'm like. You don't know what D Day is? Like, no, I was like, okay, well, it's got to be D Day, so we'll do June six. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. This is gonna be awesome. I'm excited. Awesome. I can't wait. Uh, I'll definitely stop by the shows. Yeah, please do. See you. Yeah, we'll chat, see. Yeah, make sure everything's going good. Awesome. The, so, the vehicle will be there as well. If you guys yeah. are listening to this and want to see the the 350 setup, it will be there. This and, thing's a beast. I don't know how we're gonna fit it in there. <laughs> <laughs> it is big. Yeah, it's cool though. No, yeah. I think it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. It was a great, great podcast. Thanks awesome. for coming on. Thanks if you for ever want to come on again, let's let's do let's do more. I'm right down the road. Chat. I yeah. love that. You yeah. guys are close, so yeah. it's been great. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Thanks everybody for watching. Have cool. a good one. Thanks, guys.